We're thrilled today to be able to have uh, Philip Cameron with us from the Orphan's Hands. If you've never traveled, I, I've, when we were doing mission work, I used to tell everybody, everyone ought to have to leave the United States at least once. So you know how blessed we really are. You know, it's hard to complain about the color of your carpet when you see people that are sleeping on dirt, which is what happened in Mexico. The first mission trip I ever made out of the country was into Russia. And when I made that trip, when I got back on the plane, with tears in my eyes, I started praying and I said, God, help me never to complain again. We just really don't understand how blessed we are. I want you, if you would right now, to put your hands together for Philip Cameron as he comes. We're so glad he's here today. Let's give the Lord a hand, will we please? The last time I was here, it was chilly. Today, it's just a wee bit hot. <laughs> I come from Scotland, if you wonder where my accent's from. And uh, it never gets, in fact, one of the coldest Julys I ever spe spent my life was in Scotland. I home for the whole month of July, and the hottest it ever got for the whole month of July was 58 degrees. And that reminded me all through the month of July I was home, I reminded myself why I left Scotland and moved to America. Because <laughs> I don't like wet, rainy weather. Folks say, oh, Scotland is so beautiful and green. Aye, if it rained on top of your head every day like it does in Scotland, you'd be green too. <laughs> That's the truth. It is a joy to be here. When we came here the last time, I really felt a connection in this church. I felt, we go to churches all the time, we're traveling continuously, um, literally raising this, the funds for the kids that we support in Moldova. And, but there are churches you get to, now. I, mean, I believe it's because your pastor has been there, has been on the mission field, knows what it feels like to be a missionary. And when I came here, I thought, my goodness, that's, people, that's my kind of folks. And um, we're just so thankful to be back with you. And I believe that the best our relationship is going to grow and blossom as we get to, as we move forward. And uh, we were talking before church today, um, in, right now in Moldova. How many know where Moldova is? Let me see. Anyone? One. <laughs> One person in. You see, you folks are so confused. I've never met a people in my life like America. They'll come up to me and they'll say, Y'all are from Scotland? And I'll say, Yes, we are. Is that beside Germany? And I'll say, well, kind of, you know, five countries away, but it's the same general vicinity. And uh, they'll, they'll say, oh, we just love y'all, you're Irish people. And I'm going, no, I am not Irish. I'll slap you if you say that again to me. I am not an Irish. An Irishman is a Scotsman with his brains bashed out. I should have asked this question first. Any Irish folk here? <laughs> Let me tell you what happened to me. Our kids, my own kids and the kids got me that Ancestry.com thing. So I spat in the test tube and sent it away. And six weeks later, I got a notification on my iPad that I don't know how to work it, that it's through. And, and I looked at it and couldn't, I couldn't work the blessed thing. So I said to Dasha, I said, Dasha, my Ancestry's come through here, but I don't know how to open it up. So she, I gave her the iPad, click, click, click. Oh, here it is. That alone makes me upset, but that's beside the point. 
I'm a dinosaur in a, in a modern world. Am I the only dinosaur in the world? I just don't make any sense of any of things. So she, she opened it up and she started to laugh. I said, what are you laughing at? Because I know I'm Scottish. My father and my grandmother and my great-grandmother and my great-great-grandmother and for hundreds of years, Scottish. I'm a... So she laughed. So I says, what, tell me, what did it, what's the deal? She says, you're half Irish. <laughs> I'm half Irish. So to all my Irish kinfolk, I apologize for the last joke. That's getting me out. But we are just so thrilled to be here and share with you the miraculous. How many believe that God still works miracles today? We live in a world that we have, what we've done is we've so tamed our world. We live in a controlled environment. And what we've really done is we've controlled the miraculous out of our world. We've ex we have an explanation for everything. Science, you watch these programs in the life of Jesus and the miracles of the Red Sea, and they can tell you scientifically what might have happened. I'm going to tell you something. God works miracles then, and God still works miracles today, and you and I have got to put ourselves in the position to receive the miracle. God hasn't changed. I don't, care. I don't care what the government tells me. I don't care what politicians tell me. They can tell me all the new rules and all the new ways we can do or whatever. If God's word said something, it doesn't bend and shape and move to popular opinion. God's word is forevermore secure. So they can tell me that we're all genderless. That you can be a girl one day and a boy the next day. They can, t they can make boys or they can let boys compete against girls because they just feel like a girl that day. I think they're all nuts. Is that all right? I just think they're all absolutely out of their mind. And they've got some little dark room somewhere that they think of new ideas to bend and twist and pervert natural law. But I'm here to tell you something. I'm standing on the Word of God, and all after all the stuff's gone and come, God is not a politician. He doesn't work on a popularity contest. He doesn't go by polls. God is, and His Word is yea and amen forevermore. Amen. So we have got ourselves so fancied up and all clever, and we know more than God does. I'm going to tell you something. God is still full of surprises, and if you put yourself in the place of a miracle, God's going to meet you right there. Amen. Are you understanding me all right? I'm doing okay language-wise. I'm okay, am I? Okay. I've got, a word. I've got a word this morning for you that I think is going to bless your heart. I really do. And in a wee while, I'm going to let, share with you what we're doing in Moldova. Moldova, I asked you how many folk knew Moldova and one person did. Moldova is between Romania. How many folk know where Romania is? <laughs> how many know where the Ukraine is? Well, Moldova is squished between the Ukraine and Romania. So the Ukraine has always been, or for recent history, been part of the Soviet Empire. They say that Russia by itself is a country. Russia plus Ukraine makes it an empire. That's the, that's the whole, there's a big fight going on right now. Russia's annexed some of Ukraine. And then this little country called Moldova, when the Soviet Union broke up, um, when the Berlin Wall fell, etc., this little bankrupt country called Moldova was spat out by itself. 
It has no natural um, means of, no you know, natural uh, gas or ga oil or whatever. It depends completely on Russia for all of its natural gas and, and oil. The only thing it makes brilliantly is grapes. They have the, some of the finest wines in the world. And sadly, because of the poverty in the country, they also have, the, the two exports are wine and woman. And women from there are trafficked all over the world. Um, I, I saw a State Department report that 400,000 Moldovan girls have been trafficked. And the, the State Department said it is a, a, what's the word again? Oh dear. A, a genocide of a whole generation of young people. So what we do is we have homes in Moldova. And when a girl leaves the orphanage or a girl from utter poverty, is put at risk. Our kids that were once orphans themselves and are now redeemed and have shaken off the orphanage, the orphanage and the orphan spirit and are now ministers by themselves, they get these kids and take them into our homes, get them saved, and we turn orphans into sons and daughters and then sons and daughters into missionaries. And the orphans now do all the mission work. Isn't that crazy? It is amazing. And uh, so we've, we've, we've a church over there right now from, um, from uh, uh, what is it, from Florida, I think it is? Louisiana, pretty close. It's all, it's down there. You know, Germany, Italy, um, England's over there, Scotland's over here. And we've had, we've had a team, and we would love to see some of you go over there and, and participate and see firsthand what God is doing in that country. I have been, I have been really challenged in recent times about honor. How many know that honor is a word that the church has forgotten? God will only bless you in the, in the, in the amount and, and in conjunction to how much you honor other people. When you honor your pastor, you're honoring God. How many understand that? The more you honor people, honor is given back to you. It is a, it is a reciprocal gift that you can give. And when someone comes and honors you, nothing blesses me more when people recognize my gift and recognize my calling and my anointing. And uh, in Matthew 10, 11, Jesus says, here's a pattern of how to establish a church. Jesus says, when you go into a village, find a man of honor or a person of honor and stay with them. Is that what he said? And what that means is you go into a village that you're not known, but you, you, you join with a, a person of honor and their honor comes onto you. So when you speak about Jesus, the, the, the lifetime of work that they've put in to build honor, you get to piggyback on, you understand what I'm saying? And the, the message, and we need in our churches, we need to establish an honor society. We need to find people that will step up to the plate and become men and women of honor in our community. We've got to get this gospel outside of these walls into this town and this, and this whole area. There are men right now and women right now who have wealth that you and I can only imagine, but they don't have what we have. And if you were bold enough to go up to someone that you would otherwise look back and say, well, I can't talk to him, he's a rich doctor, or I can't talk to him, he's a rich lawyer, or I can't talk to her, she owns these businesses. Let me tell you, these people are the very people that need reaching for Jesus. Because most times, the money has ruined their kids. 
and their kids are going to hell in a handbasket and they're divorced and their wives and, the, and their whole world is in a turmoil but because we look at them as being people that have got all this stuff we miss the pleasure and the honor of reaching people of honor and I challenge this church get together and honor in fact we've just started a new website we just did this last week because it's fresh in my mind Jesus reached men of honor the first four disciples he found were James and John and Peter and Andrew is that right and he went into their boat he just walked into their boat and he says let me preach from here for a while and then he says put your net over the other side and the Bible says that they caught a great draft of fish and their nets began to break and the boat began to sink and Peter called or shouted to his partners these weren't guys out in little rowing boats with a fishing line hoping to catch uh, uh, you know a fish these guys had a, a corporation with partnership in it. And these men had, had money and wealth. We don't think of it like that. We just think they were little guys out there just kind of hap, hap No, 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 no. Peter and Andrew and James and John had a partnership, had a company that they were using to, to catch the fish in, 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 out, out, of the, out of the Galilee. So Jesus, the first men that Jesus found were men of honor. The next person he finds is Matthew. What was Matthew's job? A tax collector. Remember Zacchaeus when Jesus found him up in the tree? Remember the story? And Jesus said, I'm coming to, I'm going to stay in your house. Remember that? And, and, and Jesus impacted Zacchaeus so much that Zacchaeus said, whoever I've taken money from, I'm going to repay them four times over. So how many understand that he had to have a lot of money to be able to give away four times to everyone he's ever taken from because he because he's being contacted with Jesus. The, the other disciple that we know whose employment was, was Luke. What was Luke's profession? He was a doctor. So Jesus had these four businessmen who were fishermen. I'm from a fishing town in Scotland, right in the northeast corner. The richest people in our town are fishermen. They, they live in million pound houses and their boats are 10 million pounds or 15 million dollars. These guys drive the best cars. So Peter and, and, and Andrew and James and John were not poor men. They were men of substance. They were men of honor. And Jesus chose people of honor to come with him. And then the Bible says, how many know there's a group of women that, that met Jesus' needs, that traveled with Jesus? How many knew that? There was a group of women. One of the women's name was Joanna. Joanna was married to a man called Cusa. Cusa was the COO, the chief operating officer for Herod, King Herod. Did you know that? So that Herod gave Cusa money, a lot of money, and he gave Joanna his wife money, and Joanna traveled with Jesus and paid the bills. Most folk don't know that. Most folk think that Jesus kind of wandered around and, and kind of stumbled into things. I've got news for you. Jesus had 20 people traveling with him all the time. He was a whole team on the road. And when they stopped, there was a huge amount of money to feed them all. And where they stayed, it was, they didn't sleep in the fields every night, only when they had to. Jesus' robe, the robe that Jesus wore, the Bible says was seamless. It had no seams. It wasn't stitched. It was woven in one piece. And it was so valuable 
that as he was being butchered on the cross, you'd have think, thought that everyone would have been caught up with him. No, 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 not the soldiers. The soldiers were having a lottery for his garments. So God built the church on worthy men and women, people that had means by which they could promote the gospel and present the gospel. Constantine, Constantine was converted. That's where Constantinople, and now it's, 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 it's now Istanbul. Constantine's wife went to, the, to Israel and the Middle East when there was nothing there. And Constantine's wife, in conjunction with priests and, and scholars, decided where Jesus was crucified and decided where the upper room was. All that we know today came from people that were kings and, and, and princes and wealthy people. When Jesus was born, what, who visited Jesus in the stable? Wise men, kings from the east following the star because worthy men knew that only a worthy man would have a star in the heavens that traveled with them and led them to the baby in the manger. And what did they bring Jesus? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They blessed that child so much that when they had to leave Israel and travel and live in Egypt, that the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh that they were given by the kings met all their needs while they were out of the country. And we have this parochial idea of what the church is, that we're just kind of struggling along and stumbling along and hoping to make it for the next month or so, when that is not what God says. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. When God puts his stamp on you, and he puts his hand on you, there's no weapon formed against you that's going to prosper, because God is on our side, and if God be for us, who can be against us? And we need to get ourselves up off the ground and get our chins off of our chest and stand up like we are the sons and daughters of the living God and say to the devil, we are coming to get you and we are taking you down in the name of Jesus because God has given us authority in the name of Jesus that in the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God the Father. It's time for this church. It's time for the church. To understand the mentality has got to change if we are going to change the world. I hear 20% of the church ties. Let me get right into your toes right now. If you don't tithe, God sees you as a thief. Did you know that? Did you know that? You have robbed me. What, is, is that what the Bible says? Wherein have you robbed me, saith the Lord, in your tithes and offerings? So if you don't tithe and you come into the presence of God and you lift your hands up and worship him, he goes, can't accept that because I don't recognize you as mine. Tithe money doesn't give you return financially. Tithe money is your belonging to God money. I'm part of the family money. Tithe money is when the devil comes knocking at your door, Jesus goes to answer instead of you. That's what tithe money does. When you tithe, you are identifying yourself with the body of Christ. I'm in. I'm part of this. I believe in this. If you don't tithe and, and, and sickness comes to your door, God's going to say, hold on a second. If someone came into your house and stole from you, how would you react and treat them? 
I came home one night to my house and, and got in bed and, and I was in maybe five minutes I was in bed and, and someone was staying with me, came in and says, they came in later than me and he said, there's a guy in your garage. Who's working in your garage tonight? My garage had windows in it. And this guy was in my garage, had broken into my house and was looking for a tool to break into the house proper. This was a Saturday night. And I was meant to be out of town and would have left my wife Chrissy and my four little kids in the house alone. Because the other fellow, he, he traveled with me. And uh, he's telling me this, and as he's telling me, I'm getting, I'm getting dressed. And I reached for my gun. And I went through to the, to the garage and, and he'd gone. And I'm outside and I, and I said, I'm gonna kill you. If I catch you, I'm going to kill you. I'm letting you know now, you're, you're dead. Say your prayers, I'm coming to get you. So, all in Jesus' name. You understand what I'm saying? All in the name of Jesus. So I looked around all the houses, had a flashlight, looked in the bushes, couldn't find the guy nowhere, and uh, got in my car and shot down the drive right past the guy sitting in his little chevette at the bottom of the drive. Didn't even see, I was so mad. I, would, I would, looked around, couldn't, feel, so I was coming back, and as I came, was coming back to my house, this little white Chevette drove this way, and, and my friend said, that's him, because he was he long, blonde, stringy hair, and a, like a lumberjack tartan, you know that red tartan thing, shirts on. So I spun my car around, and he took off, and he was driving a Chevette, and I was driving a Mercedes-Benz, so he didn't get very far. And I, I pulled up beside him, and I put my window, the, the passenger window, my friend sitting here, and the window's down, and I'm sideways to him, and I had the gun like this, and I'm saying, you better pull over, or I'll shoot you where you are. So, uh, maybe I shouldn't tell you this story. Do you want me to finish it or I'll just go back to being spiritual? So we didn't have cell phones in those days. So I stopped at this gas station in a phone box. I said, call the cops. And he took off again. So I left my friend standing at the gas station all by himself. And I'm off now with just me and the guy running red lights. And we finally got to this, into this little shopping plaza. And I cornered him in the corner. And he, and, he, and he didn't know where to go. And, and, and so I, I had my gun, and I says, if you move a muscle, you're going to see Jesus. I'm telling you now. So I sat and held him till the police came and um, went to the grand jury and won the, won the grand jury. When the story came out that what had happened, one the grand jury says, can I ask a question? And I said, this is, who's it for? It's for the preacher. <laughs> she says, what church do you pastor? I want to go to your church. I said, no, ma'am, I'm a missionary evangelist. I don't, I don't pastor a church or you'd all be dead. It was, you know, in the laugh. <laughs> His name was Barry. And I went to court and pointed him out and he got seven years for coming into my house. He, he, he fessed up the whole bunch of other crimes he'd done. That's how I treat a thief. And if, if you don't tithe, God looks at you and says, you're not serious about this whole thing. If I don't have your heart, I don't, I don't have your money. If I don't have your money, I don't have your heart. So when you get desperate and you start saying, God, my kids are sick, please, God, help me. You, you negate the privilege of belonging because you haven't given tithes and offerings. Amen. I don't know why I'm, I'm uh, you didn't ask me to say this, did you? 
You don't have enough money to make me say this. I'm telling you now. But it's true. The church, the church is continually restricted by one thing, the amount of funds that the church has. As a missionary, the one challenge I have all the time is we need more money to do what we're called to do. And I know that the great re reservoir of the church, that people are blessed of God. We, we'll sign up for a mortgage for a house for $1,000 a month and not blink an eye, or we'll spend, spend five or $600 a month for a car payment, and yet a $20 bill in church is a huge amount of money. Isn't that the truth? So we, ha we work in the world's economy and pay their price. Gas here is almost $3 a gallon. In Alabama, it's like $3.25 a gallon. I didn't even just thought you were going to know that. <laughs> You're paying 75 cents a gallon more than we are. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but we live in two economies. We live in the world's When I first came to America, the first car my dad bought was uh, 1969. It was a Ford LTD station wagon, Country Squire, with the wood paneling down the side. How many remember it? It was a gorgeous car. It cost a huge $3,600, brand new, off the lot. And now they're asking for forty dollars and $50,000 for a car. And we've all stretched our minds that way to, to, from three, three, three or $4,000 for a car up to $40,000 for a car. And, and, and our minds have stretched except that. And houses were ten, fifteen, twenty thousand, $20,000, and now they're $150,000, $200,000. And we've stretched ex except that. But when it comes to the church, our giving to God is the same as it was 30 years ago. And what it is, really, is a lack of honor. The Bible says you honor the Lord with your substance. When you give, you are giving honor to God. You are saying to him, I, I, I need you in my life. I identify that you are my source. And what I have is not enough to meet my need. So I'm going to take part of what I have and I'm going to give it to you. And you've promised me in the word that whatever I give, you're going to give it back to me. Pressed down, shaken together and running over. In this life shall men give into my bosom. And that's the key. And we need to find men of honor and women of honor that will stand up to their obligations and stand up to their cause. We need to find women and men of honor outside of the church. We need to bring them into the church. How many understand that the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous? How come they get nicer buildings than we do? How come they'll spend $100 million like it's nothing? Of your money that they're taking from you, tax money that they're paying for you. Billions and billions of dollars are wasting. They're throwing money away like fools. Our money away like fools. And yet when you come to the church, whenever the pastor starts talking about money or, or a visiting preacher t starts talking about money, <laughs> i got news for you. God is meeting our needs according to his riches and glory. I've learned the secret of giving. I give way more away than I ever keep. But I've learned something, that God gives seed to sowers. He honors sowers. Amen. Now, that's, that's not, I've, I've kind of preached my time out, and I haven't even got to where I was going to, that was like a preamble. And I've kind of gone over time. But I want to tell you something. God wants to bless you. The, the scripture I was going to give you, if you want to read it, is 1 Kings 17. 
And the Lord came to him and said, the word of the Lord came, Arise and go to Zarephath, which belonged to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gates of the city, indeed, a widow was gathering sticks. And he called unto her, and she says, Please bring me a little cup of water. You see, he tested her. He didn't know at this time that she was facing starvation with her boy. And she was busy getting sticks to make the last meal before they died. What the prophet asked of for, for, from her the first time was an innocuous thing. You just go to a well and get a cup of water. It doesn't cost you anything. Water just getting out, here you go. So the, the prophet tested her willingness to hear a voice. And he says, can I have a cup of water? Please bring me a little water and a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to it, she, she, as she's going to get it, he called and says, please bring me a morsel of bread. You see, he got her committed to giving. And once he got her on the way to giving, he increased the request upon her heart. And what, that's what God does. God, in this room right now, there are two kind of folk. There are folk that are listening to what I'm saying, thinking, my goodness, that's right. We need to do, I've, I've got to get this. And there are other people that just put an umbrella up and say, oh, the preacher's talking about money again. He ain't getting none of my money. It ain't your money. If God closes his hand tomorrow, guys, we're all up the creek without a paddle. And the minute you think, have you ever had a kid and only your children, and they won't share something? Mine. What's the first thing you do? You show them that it ain't theirs. I've got, I've got six grandkids right now, and you should see them. If one gets a toy, everybody, that's everybody's toy, and no other toy of the 100,000 toys in my house that looks like a junkyard with all these kids playing. They, they live in my house. They, they come and the, the parents work and the, my, my, my wife, Chrissy, is, babysits for them all. And my, uh, when, when I got older, I wanted to have nice stuff. I wanted to have really nice carpets and nice sofas and nice stuff. And I got nice grandkids instead. And I got this box. I got this box in my living room that throws up every morning. <laughs> and a thousand toys falls across my room. And I try to sit down and I'm sitting on chair, on the seat, there's, there's things on my chair. And my chair's got soup spilled on it and milk spilled on it and everything spilled on it. And I don't know how many different places you can change a diaper on a house, but it's been done in my house. And Ron will get a car, and Blair, his cousin, will say, my car. And they all start fighting over this stupid car, and there's more cars than you can, you can't step on the carpet for cars. They're everywhere. And what do you do when you see that? Give me a car. Give it to me. None of you get it. How many have done exactly that same thing? Come on, fess up. You, that's exactly what you do. Is that right? Your kids start fighting over stuff. Give it to me. You're not going to get it. It's mine. Well, you know what? See in your life, the minute you start telling God, this is mine. You're not getting this out of my hands. I got news for you. God will make a way that that thing will fall out of your hands and you'll never see it again. So there's two kind of folk in the church. One that says, Lord, speak to me. If this is something I need, if I need to start tithing, if, if I need to catch up with my tithes, if I need to sow in your kingdom, I need to do this. God, help me. 
And others are saying, I worked for it, it's mine. And God says, okay, no problem. You'll be paying to the doctor next week or the garage next week or the roofer next week. I, I'll get it from you. I'll get it from you. We give, we give all of our money away. This is the truth. I have no savings, none. I live, I live as I speak. And our house, we've got a great big house. We, it's got eight bedrooms because we have so much kids coming from Eastern Europe to stay with us that we had to have a whole upstairs put on our house. And the roof went bad. I mean, really bad. It was leaking, and I says, Lord, please, I don't have the money to do this. So I talked to our roofer, and he says, well, it's going to cost $18,000. He might as well just shot me right there. I says, okay. I says, okay, I'll just have to leave it then. I says, Chris, there's no way we can do this. And, he, and he's leaving. He knows me. He knows our ministry. He says, he says, Brother Cameron, let me ask you this question. He says, have you ever talked to your insurance company? And he, he asked me what insurance company we were with, and I found out, and I told him, and he says, oh, he says, they're, no, he says, they're really sticklers. They won't do it. They, they won't help you. He says, but I'll tell you what, call them anyway, and I'll meet you here and meet with the adjuster, and, and we'll see what can happen. So I called, and the adjuster arranged, and this guy came back to the house, this friend of mine, Jason, and they go up on the roof, and I'm sitting in the house, and, and 20 minutes later, the man comes down with Jason, and he comes up, and he shakes my hands, and tears are in his eyes. He says, I'm so honored to know you. I says, oh, thank you, sir, thank you. He says, no, he says, Jason's been telling me up on the roof what you do. I said, oh, yeah, I says, yeah, that's why I got such a big roof for the house. He says, let me tell you something. He says, uh, he says we can adjust, we can, we, we will take care of this for you. He says, um, what is your deductible? I says, $500. He says, that's fine. He says, that's what it'll cost you. It never rains, it never rains, it never rains that I don't sit in my office. I look down on my house from my office and I watch the rain beating against that roof, brand spanking new roof. And I sit there and I say, thank you, Jesus, for a $500 roof. Because the same way that God will take it from you if you won't give it to him, He'll give it to you if you let him have what you have. And I got news for you. He's got more in his hand than he has, than you have in your hand. But it's that faith step. It's that, that the courage to do it and to have a pure mind and a pure heart to do it. And by doing so, you honor God. Okay. Let me tell you what happened to us this last month. We built our, we, we bought a village, an unfinished village in Moldova called Vatra Village. I don't, uh, can you put it up on the screen, Andrew, to let me see what Vatra Village looks like? That's not, that's not Vatra Village. <laughs> that looks like the tomb where Jesus was raised again on the third day. The light, can you see the light? Can you see it? If you squint a bit, you can see it. In Moldova, there is a village called Vatra Village. It is six houses a hundred yards away from the largest lake in the country. It was built to sell to rich people that had summer homes beside the lake. And it, had, it, it was up finished to the, to, the, to the sheetrock being done, 
and the flooring wasn't done. There's was no heating systems or that kind of stuff. But, but what happened was the government, they found, there you go, that's Vatraville. Isn't that beautiful? Those are stone-built houses. The inside walls are 12 inches thick. I mean, this, these are incredible houses. And uh, that's, that's the interior. And, and you can see we've finished, these are finished houses now. When we got them, they had, they had no interiors whatsoever. So uh, the, the, this company, no one wanted to buy the houses because the government came to clean the lake out of algae. The government tipped three ton, I mean, say three axle ton trucks of chlorine into the lake. And it killed all the algae and it killed all the fish and it killed the lake. It died. And it also killed Vatra Village. No one wanted to buy them. And they sat for nine years. Another organization tried to buy them and didn't make the payments and they were repossessed back to the owners. Two years ago, a year and a half ago, Andrew and I were in Moldova, I mean, in Ukraine, opening a house. In Ukraine. We've got a house in Ukraine for girls also. And uh, this guy, this fella called me from Moldova and Kishnau, where these are, it's about four or five hours away. It was a blizzard. And he says, um, the owners of the house want me to talk to you about buying Vatra Village. And I says, well, not right now. He says, no, I want to come and see you. So he drove through the blizzard from Kishnau up to Odessa on the Black Sea. Odessa is called the Pearl of the Black Sea. So we met in a restaurant and he says, look, he says, we want to... Uh, we want, the people that I'm representing want you to have these houses. And I says, well, I'm not paying 1.2 million because that's what they sold for. I says, I'm not paying for that. He says, oh, no, no, no. He says, what, what they're prepared to do is to accept the money the last organization gave them as part payment, and you can buy them for 600,000 euros, about $700,000. I says, let me, pre yes, I'll do it. So we signed the contract and began the, the, the beginning of, of believing. The last time I was here, I was asking you to help me with Vatra Village. So at the same time, as you see, we've been working on the houses and finishing the houses, and we've only got two left to finish. So July the 1st, two weeks ago, July the 1st was the deadline to pay the houses off. And the, the deal was that if we didn't pay the houses off by July the 1st, the company could repossess the houses. Is that exciting? People say, serving Jesus is boring. Come with me for a while. I'll cure you of that real fast. So I says, okay, that's the deal to get them for the $600,000. That was the deal I made. So God began to help us, and, and we, we paid all but $150,000 of the whole amount. Now, in the meantime, we'd spent forty-five dollars to $50,000 on the houses, fixing them up, putting all the stuff inside, and, and, and getting them ready for furniture. So July the 1st, I was $150,000 away from paying them off. June the 1st came, and for the first time in my memory, every Sunday of June, canceled or postponed. So I had no churches to speak in for the whole month of June. And the devil woke me up and said, you are absolutely sunk. I've got you now. And all the ministry were saying to me, 
Do you know how bad this is going to be? Do you know how bad this is going to be? Because traveling is how we get the funds to do all these things. And I thought, Lord, you know, and for first week, nothing happened. Second week, nothing happened. Third week, we wrote a letter, nothing happened, enough to meet the need. The last week of June, the last week of June, a friend called me from North Carolina. His name is Elsie Lynch. And he called me and he says, hey, he says, what's going on? I says, oh, I says, we're having exciting times. I says, uh, I says we're, we're really, really excited. He says, what's the deal? So I told him. He says, oh, my goodness. He says, well, let me pray with you. I says, man, I, says, I need your money, but I need your prayers just as much as I need your money. And he says, okay, cool. The next day he called me. He says, you are not going to believe this. He'd gone to work that morning, and he worked with this guy. He's a stone builder. He builds all the fancy stone. And uh, he talked to this fellow, Jeff, that works for him. And uh, he told him the need of $150,000, and uh, nothing more was said. 11 o'clock that night, I knock at Elsie's door. She opens the door, and this guy's standing with a bag. And Elsie says, what are you doing here? He says, I've thrown up twice between your house and my house. <laughs> threw up twice, stopped the truck and threw up. He says, I've never done this before in my life. He says, this is all my savings. He says, please give this to Philip Cameron for those houses. And, and, and Elsie took the bag and, and the guy left. And he came in and he opened the bag and it was full of cash. $59,000 in cash in dollar bills. So I got a, I got a, a photograph the next morning from, from Elsie, and he says, you won't believe this story. Call me right away. A lady from Colorado heard about what we're doing. Not, I don't believe she's on our mailing list, but heard from someone. See, this is, this is the value of talking to people. You're talking to people of honor that have the answer to missions if you don't have it. Your tongue can create funds and support for ministries just by talking to people of honor. And this woman called, she, she says, look, she says, um, I, I want to help you. She says, uh, can, uh, how much do you need? And I told her what had happened with the 59,000 and, and uh, other monies that come in. She says, well, let me, I'll get back with you. That's okay. So she called a real estate friend of hers, and the real estate friend said, you are nuts to give this guy money. This could be a scam. So they went and they researched our ministry and discovered we got a platinum um, seal from the Guide Star. Uh, when you, it helps you to know who to give to. So she went to the bank with $50,000. And the banker says, I'm not letting you give this money. You can't give $50,000 to someone you don't know. So he and his staff went unchecked in our ministry as well. So she called and she says, I've just had the most terrible time giving you this money. And I said, what do you mean? She says, no one wants me to give you this money. She says, but the more they're saying no, the more I'm saying yes. I says, amen, sister. <laughs> Listen to the voice of God. By July the 1st, we had well over $150,000 given that we paid the thing off and it is ours in the name of Jesus. What I'm telling you is this. When you show honor, God has found someone that he can show honor to as well. You can't go into a relationship with God as an orphan. You've got to go in as a son and as a daughter. There's a, we deal with orphans all the time. 
Kids that have been in, in the orphanage have, have a mindset, a smallness, that they, they, they just get, get stuff, they get stuff. And the first thing we do when they come to us, we, we go to outreach with, with them, and they start giving food away, more food than they've ever seen before. And they go to widows' houses, and they bring her food and clothes. And suddenly, they realize that it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And these kids that have been orphaned minds all the time are being transformed by giving. Let me tell you something. The church is the same. We just think we come to church and the pastor better have a good, oh, the pastor better have a good word this week for me because I've had a terrible week. I can barely make it to church today and I'm praying God help me through. The music was too loud today. It kind of hurt me. And the, I don't like the song. They've sung, they've sung like twice this month already. Oh, get over yourself for crying out loud. Get over yourself. Get over yourself. My Lord Jesus, that's orphans talking. But when you're a child, when you're a son and an heir, I've got two sons, and, 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 and the joy of my life is going to be when one day when I can walk away from this and it still keep going and growing because my sons have caught this vision and are, are, are no longer just going along for the ride. The miracle of these things, we've got a couple of girls from Moldova with us this morning. And Dasha, stand up Dasha, will you? She twisted her ankle coming in here today. Dasha spent seven years in an orphanage, abandoned by her mother. She has a cousin called Nadia. Two sisters, her mother abandoned her, and the other sister abandoned her cousin. The two main people in our ministry, in the mission part of our ministry, is a girl called Nadia, her cousin in Moldova. And Dasha is the interface between our ministry here and in Moldova and Ukraine. She speaks Russian and Moldovan and English and French, and I speak in Scottish to her, and she understands my Scottish accent too. But what, what thrills me is to watch a girl that I first met her on a park bench, lost with nowhere to go and 16 years of age and nothing but despair. And dis I asked her one day, I said, Dasha, what would have happened if dad hadn't come that day and seen you the, on that bench? And she replied immediately, I'd have been dead by now. I'd have been dead by now. Galena spent 14, 15 years in an orphanage next to her. No, no family, dropped off at the bottom of the drive and left. No idea where she comes from, no idea who her folks are, no clue. And it's such an integral part of her ministry today that, that I, I depend on them for their insight and wisdom as to what to do in a foreign cult, culture in a foreign country. God wants to grow us up out of being kids into being men and women of honor that he can depend on us, he can show us something, and he can point us in the right direction, and we have enough character to do what he's called us to do. Amen. Do you still love me? Yes. Am I pushing my luck now? Am I getting to the edge here? I'm going to pray for you today that God opens our eyes to understand. Let me, and I make no bones about this. If me talking about tithing has convicted you, it's time you start tithing. What would happen, Pastor, if everyone in this church started tithing? What difference would it make in this church? It would transform this whole church. Amen. The outreach and the extension of this church would explode. Amen. 
But you think, well, it's just my tithe. God doesn't miss my tithe. No, God doesn't miss your tithe. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. But you miss it. You miss it. As long as you're not tithing, you are living in the world that you've made for yourself. And God has no place in it. But the moment you start tithing, you are opening the door to say to God, come on in and rearrange the furniture in my house and change my mindset and let me see what you can do. And I'll promise you, I'll promise you, I'll refund your tithe if it doesn't work, that God will transform your life into being on the defensive and start being on the offensive. God will give, make men give into your bosom. This is not what you prayed for, but this is what God sent. I make everybody happy. Some are happy when I come. And the rest are happy when I leave. Turn to the person next to you and say, he's almost done. Thank God he's almost done. I'm going to get out of here alive. How many know I love you? How many feel love coming from my heart? Do you feel that? I, listen, I love you guys so much. I love you so much. I only want God's best for you. My dad used to beat me. And he'd say to me, it hurts me more than it hurts you. And I would say, you are out of your mind. That didn't hurt you more. It did. It did, but he knew if he wanted me to become the son that he wanted me to be, he'd have stopped me from doing one thing and guide me to be doing something else. And sometimes I was just too dumb to be explained to. And there's nothing better than a belt. In his study, he would say to me, come in, son, I want to talk to you. And I knew, I knew he wasn't going to talk to me at all. That was a, that was a flat out lie he was telling me. Come to my study, I don't have a word with you. And I'm thinking, I word my foot. Bend over, that's about all the word he's going to give me. And he would, I don't know if your parents were the same as mine, but as he, as he spanked me, he would explain why he was spanking me. I want you to know that what you did is un I hated that word, unacceptable. That was a five-whack word right there. Unacceptable. I spoke in church more than once, and he'd, pre he'd be preaching like I am, and he'd say, Philip, get up, get down beside your mother, I'm going to thrash you after church. Now what was I saying? Yes, the love of God. <laughs> and I'd be saying going, oh Jesus, please, work the love of God in between now and the end of this service. I'm begging you. I could save more Sundays than you could ever imagine. I could save regularly. I mean, I gave my heart to Jesus on a regular. I'll the reason why I'm a missionary today is because I made so many promises. If I survive this one, I'll serve you the rest of my life. I really will, Lord Jesus. I'll serve and he took me up on it, and here I am. But I want this church, I really feel this. I felt a bond when I came here the last time. I want to come here regularly. I want to be a part of this ministry. I want to get to know you guys better. And I believe we can do great things for the kingdom of God to be, together. I really feel it. Most pastors you go to see, most pastors you go to see have never done mission work have never gone through the rigors of mission and having to believe God for funds and, and struggle and, and fight to get to, to where you... They, they, that's, not their, that's not their calling and they never get there. That's why everybody should be... Every Christian should go abroad once and see how the rest of the world lives. Y'all come to Moldova and I'll show you a thing or two. But I feel that God has put us in connection with each other for a purpose. 
and I'm excited to see what God is doing. Watch this video, and we'll, we'll finish the service. Watch this. He is not here. He is risen. Moldova is the poorest country in all of Europe. If you leave two miles out of the city, there are no streets, no sidewalks. There's grinding, soul-destroying poverty. And this compression of poverty breaks spirits and hearts. When a family breaks, Usually a parent will go abroad for a job and leave the kids behind with all kinds of promises. And they just don't come back. That causes orphans, abandoned kids. And those kids are warehoused in orphanages. No one cares about them. They're told things every day like, nothing plus nothing will always be nothing. Your mother doesn't want you. Your father didn't want you. We don't want you. Every piece of paper they have is stamped orphan. A stigma that goes with them through all their life. The only way for me to survive, it was to put me in a hospital for children which are sick with tuberculosis. And um, I stayed there for 10 years. Though so I wasn't sick, I was a normal child. I didn't have any problems with my health. But it was the only place that could receive these little babies like me. For 10 years, I didn't know that I have a family, and I didn't even know my real name. I have little to say about my life. When it comes to family, I can say that I never had one. My mother died when I was 12 years old. My father left when I was little, so I don't even remember what he looks like. Little by little, I began losing myself. Me and my sister spent the next six years being moved from centers to sanatoriums and so on. Because of the poor economic situation in Moldova, my father was forced to spend most of his time working abroad in order to provide for the family. I would sit by the window and watch my siblings walking home from school with badly worn shoes and clothes that barely fit them. I couldn't understand why my family was going through such a hard times. And I thought that God forgot about us. I lived with my parents and my sister until one day my mother left us because my father was disabled and he couldn't take care of us, he put us in a orphanage, in the largest orphanage in Moldova. In the orphanage, it was horrible because teachers said to us every day that we are nothing and nobody loved us, nobody cared about, about us and they knew about it. And, and they did a lot of horrible things to us. At 16, 
They graduate. They age out of the orphanage. Given a few dollars and a bus ticket to whatever name of town is on their birth certificate, and they're sent away. Many end up in a bus station, and a car drives up, and a man steps out and says, looking for a place to go, looking for a job. I have an uncle in Italy, and we're looking for waitresses. We'll pay your ticket there. We'll help you get there. And a wee girl that has no experience, painfully naive, gets in the back of a car. Within 24 hours of getting in that car, she is taken away and raped and beaten mercilessly. They use them 30 to 50 times a day until there's nothing left. The orphan's hands has managed to break that cycle. They come to us with the clothes on their back. Many have never had any dreams of going to school or any hope of living a normal life, marked forever because they're an orphan. And we take them in and we give them their own bed and their own clothes. We enroll them in a good school and suddenly despair begins to turn to hope. Because of the orphan's hands, things are different this year. My siblings have received clothes, shoes, food. Now I know that all of those hard winter times we had to endure that are over. Don't ever believe that God has forsaken you, no matter what you're going through. My hope for the future is to build a different life for myself and for my children. So they won't have to go through the things I went through in my life. I am who I am today because of Jesus. God had a plan all along. He changed my life through the Cameron family. He showed me that there's somebody who loves me and somebody who cares about me. After I finished the orphanage, uh, I didn't know where to go. After a few months, I met the, family, uh, the Cameron family, and um, they changed my life. I'm very thankful that uh, God found me. Though I didn't know my real name when I was in the hospital, um, my God chose me and knew before I was born, and he had a plan with me before I was born. And thank you for being a part of my life because of you, now I have this opportunity to speak for those that are still in these difficult periods like I, I was. And because of you, now I have a voice to speak about those that are lost now. You have incredible power right now. You have the power of life and death in the yes of your heart, in the stretch of your hand, to allow a young girl who tonight is absolutely lost, who today sits with no hope, to lift them out of darkness and say to them, we love you and we care for you because God does. And we will stand with you through the storm 
until the new day comes. Amen. So Vatra Village will allow me to take 90 more kids. 90. Turn them out of, from being orphans into becoming sons and daughters, and then from sons and daughters into missionaries. The girl that spoke with the Asian, looks. her name is Ulizana. Her mother was wealthy from a wealthy family, went to Russia, studied, but a man from Kyrgyzstan, which is beside Pakistan, went there, had three girls, and he started beating her. And she ran away pregnant with Ulizana and came back to Moldova, so poverty, Ulizana said, we didn't only have food, we didn't have a table. And to keep her alive, the mother put her into a tuberculosis hospital, not sick, but just dumped her in the tuberculosis hospital. And she spent the first 10 years of her life, no one came to see her. No Christmas, no birthdays, nothing. She spent, and because she looked Asian, everyone in the, in the orphanage, teachers included, everyone in the hospital, in the tuberculosis hospital, everyone told her she was ugly. That beautiful girl, you're ugly. Every day the teachers, you are so ugly. All the kids that had tuberculosis would go home and she'd be left by herself in a huge orphanage alone, the only girl. One day a woman showed up, European, her mother was from, from Moldova, and she says, uh, I'm your mother. And she looked at this woman, she says, I have a mother? And she says, yes, she says, you've got three sisters. And she says to me, she says, I never asked for a doll, I never begged God for a doll. I just wanted to be part of a family. And this woman says, you have three sisters, would you like to meet them? And she says, yes, please. And they took her to another orphanage, from the hospital to the orphanage, and dumped her there. And when she went in, the paperwork that the, she brought with her, the teacher, the, the woman in charge says, your name is Ulizana. She says, no, my name is Christina. The, the, um, my name is Christina, and it wasn't. Her name was Ulizana. And they couldn't be bothered saying that strange name. They just said Christina. And, and one day she lost her name and was given a new name. She found her sisters. And the first thing her sisters said to her was, mother is mentally ill. You've got to stay away from her or she will kill you. And she lost her mom. And then the, the, in the big orphanage they were in, they took our sisters, and our sisters lived on the other side of the buildings, and she was with the younger kids, and she never got to see them. And her heart was broken all over again. And she came to us at 16, had never been set a kitchen, had never stayed in a home, had no idea. And she fought with me and Chrissy. Were you there that night, Dasha, when she came? And she did, she, out, she stood and fought us. And after a couple of hours, I says, maybe you're right. Maybe I can't help you. I'm so sorry. And she cried. And she says, I've got nowhere else to go. And that little girl came into our lives broken and hurt and angry. I'll never call anyone my father. I, my father never loved me. And, and she would go on, and she calls me dad. And she calls my wife, Chrissy, mom. That's the miracle that happens every day with the, with the orphan's hands. And what this houses will do for us is will allow us to extend our vision further. We need two houses still finished. They're unfinished at the moment. It's costing $45,000 to finish the house ready for furniture. A miracle happened. 
Two or three weeks ago, a church in North Carolina, in Hickory, North Carolina, contacted us. And there's a lady in their church that is in charge of distribution for a big furniture. How many know that most furniture in the world is made in Hickory, North Carolina, in that area? And this woman knows of what we've done, and she said, look, we have special orders. People will order a sofa, and then they won't want it. And there's all different kinds of stuff, and I'm responsible for getting rid of it. She says, can I give this to the orphan's hands? So last weekend, my son-in-law and my daughter-in-law drove up to Hickory, and, and this church there called The Hills went to this factory and got all this furniture, with 60 pieces of furniture all together. And there's another 60 coming at this, at the end, uh, first of, of August. This is the first of July. And uh, we are going to get most of the furniture given to us from factories in North Carolina. Isn't that crazy? So here's the, here's the math. Here's the math. I've got two houses at $45,000. Is how much? 90,000. And then a, ship, a shipping container, a 45-foot shipping container from Montgomery, Alabama to Constanza and then into Kishnau costs $9,000. So we're, we're $99,000. And how many believe that the same God that gave us a million to finish off and buy the, buy the property is going to provide this last money to, for us to open this house in not many days for the glory of the Lord Jesus? So I'm asking this church, pastor's going to come, and I'm asking you, can you help me? If I could say to you, we can finish two houses and furnish them and let 90 kids come from an orphanage you've just seen, and we can do all of that for $1,000, how many of you would say, well, I can do that? 99 people thinking that thought takes this burden away and lets us open the door and rescue the perishing and care for the dying. Let me tell you something. When you give to the poor, the Bible says, you lend to the Lord. You're not giving this money to God. You're lending in the money. He takes it as a personal note. And I'll promise you, he pays more than your bank does. His interest rate is better than the stock market. God will always repay you. So in a moment, the pastor's coming. We've got some stuff. Come here, girls, and show me these T-shirts. Dasha fell out of her van today and hurt her ankle. Are you okay? I didn't fall out of the van. I just didn't see the step. <laughs> You didn't follow the van, you just didn't see the step. And the result of not seeing the step was you fell. Uh-huh. So as I was saying, Dasha fell out of the van today. <laughs> An amazing woman. She is just, I can't explain what she means to us. And she works in Moldova. It's eight hours ahead of here. So at midnight, in, in Montgomery, it's 8 in the morning in, in uh, Kishnau. So they start their morning just as we're going to go to bed. So usually they start calling her, what do we do about this and what about this and can we, do, do we have money to buy this, can we get this? So she literally is up most of the night talking to the different aspects of the ministry in Moldova and, and also up in the Ukraine. And so she gets a little sleep during the night and then she comes to the office and she's always there. She texts me, I'm in the office, 8.45, just to prove that she was there before 9 o'clock. Is that amazing? She's, I'm not going to pay her anymore, but that's what she gets anyway. She does. She does it. And uh, to watch, to watch uh, uh, the day I found her, she was so broken. It was her brokenness that, that, that drew me to her. 
And she cried every day. Cried and cried and cried and would hide in corners and I'd go and get her. Or she'd, she'd go upstairs into her room, into her bunk, and I'd pull her out of her bunk and come downstairs and be with her. No, I don't want to see anyone. And little by little, she learned English. And one day we were driving back to Montgomery and she sat behind me in the van and she came behind me and she put her arms like this on my shoulders and she began to speak the best English. And she told me all about her mom and all the heartache she had and all this stuff. And she spoke for eight hours nonstop. I slept. She didn't know it. I slept, woke up. She was still talking. <laughs> truth. This is the truth. And by the time we got to Montgomery, she was healed. And she came the next day and she says, I haven't cried today. And then it was a week. I haven't cried in a week. I haven't cried in a month. And now she's so hard-hearted. <laughs> I thought you were going to hit me. If she attacks me, come and get me. Will you please? I'm an old man. I can't fight her. What? I said I almost cried this morning. <laughs> Did you almost cry this morning? Yeah, she came in the van hurting pretty bad. And I said, sit down. And just, you're whimpering a bit, weren't you? Anyway, listen. One of the great ways you can help us is by supporting us. Every house is, is going to take 120 people supporting it on a monthly basis by a dollar a day. 124 giving a dollar a day pays for one house on its upkeep, pays for the salary of the, the house parents, the heating and, the, and all the different stuff, going to school, you're going to pay for the school, the clothes, everything. I mean, it's like having, it's like having each household house 15 kids. It's like having 15 children that you are responsible for from, from night all, all the way. And we have a card that just says, change your life for a dollar a day. It won't change your life, but it'll change Dasha's life. It'll change other kids' lives that right now are sitting in an orphanage. We've just been contacted. There are 10 girls and seven boys waiting to come in, and we don't have space for them. And we're trying to find the money to get this furniture over to Moldova. We need to finish these houses. And I try and make it, I make it, I don't try and put pressure on you. I try and do it with a smile. But there are lives literally at risk as we speak. At risk. If you'd like to help us, by sponsoring um, one of these houses. If you put your hand up, she will come, come and dash your limp to where you are. <laughs> just take, put your hand up and they'll give you one. And um, you just passed one right there, Dasha, honestly. It was your ankle, your heart, not your eyeballs. Anyone else? Just lift your hand as they walk through. Just take one from us. Fill that card out. On the back of the card, you'll see three books. One of them sold out. The Out of the Ashes is sold out. But if you give that card back to the table, we will give you one of our books at the table as appreciation for what we're doing. Um, that's the book, Every 30 Seconds. I, I don't know if you know this. Someone is trafficked in the world every 30 seconds. Two people a minute lose their freedom in, in, in the world today. Isn't that crazy? So get this book. You can get that if you're, if you're a, 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 sponsor, a sponsor of the houses. You can get one of those free. This is Full House, How to Get Your Family Saved. If you're an unsaved loved one, you owe it to yourself to read this book. We have a brand new uh, magazine. That's Ulazana when she's a wee girl. And that's her when she graduated. And the choice, this dear lady right in the very front, Dash, is going to make you run all the way down. Where are you at, Galena? You're fitter than she is. You've got two working feet. Right there. Where, uh, lady, uh, uh, that's the one. I'm sorry. I was just a row out. 
in the past. Pastor, oh, thank you, Pastor, so much. This is a brand new brochure we have made. This is the first time it's been offered to show you. And it just gives you an overview of the work. That there is my son, Andrew, who's in the, in the control room. I adopted him from an orphanage when he was three years of age, 30 years ago. And that's what got me started in the journey I'm in today. So if you're interested in our work, pick one of these up. There's a stand outside. Get them also. And pastor's going to come and receive this offering. Not a dime of this will go in our pockets. This is going to go into our account, our VATRA account, and will go to finishing these houses. And I pray that God will talk to your heart to be a part of this miracle. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's good. Hand clap. You know, it's easy to sit in our living rooms and forget about what's happening around the world. Uh, we just came from the Appalachian Mountains, which was up in Kentucky, uh, reaching out there. When I was traveling, I had a man come to me one time, and he knew I did a lot of mission work, and he looked at me and he said, well, I don't think we ought to be going into foreign countries. He said, there's enough to right here in this country that we ought to be focused on. And I looked at him, I said, so tell me what you're doing here in this country. I don't tap dance well. And I looked at him, I said, I'm doing everything I know to do here. I'm sharing the gospel, I'm talking to people. I said, but I want you to do something for me. I want you to tell me the country that's foreign to the one that created it. There is no such thing as a foreign country. There's no such thing as foreign missions. They're just a great commission that Jesus gave to us to reach those that are hurting. When we were in Russia, I'll never forget, I think Ray was on this trip. There was a little boy had his face pressed against a window watching us eat. He was dirty, he was living in the streets, and if I'm not mistaken, you took some soup outside to him, and the, our interpreter started talking to him and asked what was wrong, and he said his parents pushed him out of the house, they were on drugs and alcohol, pushed him out, and she said, well, where do you live, little boy? In the streets. There were sewer systems in Russia, and the kids would go down there to try and stay warm during the winter. To be able to give a gift that literally makes a difference in an individual's life doesn't come by every day. So I'm going to ask you to give today. Not to give what's convenient, but to give sacrificially. Because here's the truth. The offering you give today, you may have to sacrifice for a short time, but it's going to make a world of a difference to being able to pull in a life. I can't imagine having to turn a child away. I wouldn't want your job. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to have to stand and look at children and say, you get to come, you get to come, you get to come. How many of you know today when you're offering, you're literally making the choice and saying, you get to come. 
Amen. Let's pray together as the ushers come right now. Father, we're thankful for the opportunity to be able to sow seed. God, in your such faithful, that you multiply back to us more than we're able to contain. I thank you for this ministry today, God, for the lives that are being touched and changed. And I pray, Father, that in Moldova, God, that they'll feel the impact from a little church in Southern Illinois. Let our hands become helping hands for them. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Say, so take the offering up. Let me just comment on uh, what Philip was talking about when it comes to tithing. You know, here's, here's what I love, about, well, I love a lot about God, but here's the deal about God that you've got to love. <clears throat> tithing makes everything fair. So let's say you make $100 a week and you give your $10 and there's another guy that's making $10,000 a week and he gave $500. In God's eyes, the person that gave $10 gave more than the one that gave $500. You remember the little woman that was giving? And she said, she gave, he gave, Jesus pointed her out and said, she gave more than them all. Because they gave of their abundance, but she gave all she had. Isn't it something that we serve a God that gave all he had for us before he ever asked anything from us. Amen. Come on, let's give him a hand clap of praise today. Please stop by their table and visit them. Uh, they've got product out there. I know you're going to enjoy it. I want you to be praying. I talked to Philip. I thought last, last time he was here, we had a miscommunication and I I thought that he had told me that if I took a group in to Moldova, that we would be spread out in different houses. And I've just never done that. I've, I've always made sure that the group was with me. Well, I, when I talked to him today, he said, no, no, we don't do that. He said, we, we all stay in the, you, you stay in the same house. So I want you to be praying about uh, between now and next year, uh, I want to be able to take a group into Moldova. I want you to be praying about making that trip with me. Amen. Let's give Jesus one more hand clap of praise. Stand up. Turn around and look at your neighbor, and I want you to say this with me. Are you ready? You're looking at. I'm going to say it one more time. You're looking at, you may have to look at two people, a world changer. Because Jesus change my world and I'm going to tell somebody about him. Amen. God bless you today. Be blessed as you go out. Remember you're the head and not the tail above and not beneath. That God's blessed you going out and coming in in Jesus name.